invite you to, to return with me to the passage that we read earlier in our service. It's Matthew chapter 10. And as I said, we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 15. If you're not normally with us, if this is your first time, uh, it's good for you to know that the reason I'm encouraging you to turn to the passage is because, well, we want you to know um, that what is about to be said is not my words or, or my opinion, but it's, it's, it's the Word of God, and we want you to see that for yourselves. But we also want you to know that God is going to be speaking to you this morning. And so later in the week, you might want to recall what God said to you, and so it's helpful uh, that you know where to go in your Bibles to hear from Him again. So let me encourage you to do that. It's Matthew chapter 10. Well, as we come to study this together, like I said, this is God's Word, so let us come before Him. Let's bow our heads and let's ask Him for help in understanding it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this revelation of you, this means by which we can know you, know your son, know your gospel. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces our hearts. We thank you that it is written to rebuke us, to admonish us, but also to encourage us and assure us. And so we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, your word would speak to us, your body of people here in this place. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each of our hearts so that we might hear your word, that we might know what you are saying to us, and that we might be encouraged, assured, rebuked, or admonished. We pray for these things for our sake, but also for your glory. Amen. Well, as you can see on the screen behind me, this morning we're thinking about gospel strategy. Gospel strategy. Now, when I use this term, or what I mean by gospel strategy, gospel strategy is the means by which the people of God, those who belong to Jesus' kingdom, It is the means by which you fulfill your aim. It's the means by which you fulfill your aim. Well, what is your aim? Well, if you're here last week, you will know what that is. Alex showed us from our previous passage that the aim of those who belong to Jesus' kingdom is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to see how we are going to do this. Now, before we begin, I, I, know, or I know that many of you will recognize how important this is. I know that, that many of you or most of you are involved in, in businesses or institutions that have aims and strategies. In fact, this last week, we heard of a very ambitious plan set out by BP. I don't know if you heard that in the news. Um, I think they said that they want to be carbon neutral by 2050. That's fairly ambitious for a, a company that deals almost exclusively in the, the oil and gas production. It's good to have an aim, isn't it? It's good to have an aim. But as BP found out, it's more important to have a strategy. Again, I don't know if you heard, but they came under um, fire, didn't they, for not detailing how they were going to fulfill their aim. Uh, Simon Jack, the, the BBC business editor, he, he, he put it like this. He was talking about Mr. Looney. He said, Mr. Looney, uh, the man in, in pushing forward this aim, he said, in order, Mr. Looney said, in order to start a journey, you need a destination. But as critics would say, 
you need a more detailed map on how to get there. And that's true, isn't it? It's good to have a destination. It's good to have an aim, a, a, a way in which we're going. But we also need a map. We also need a strategy. Otherwise, our aim is no more than wishful thinking. And the same applies for us in Jesus' kingdom, doesn't it? We heard, as I said a moment or two ago, that our aim is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is a great aim. But unless we have a strategy, it's no more than empty words. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus' kingdom not only has an aim, but as a strategy too. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see what the strategy is in three ways. And hopefully as we do this, it will give us confidence that we will fulfill our aim but it will guide us in how to do it. So what is this strategy? Well, there are three parts to it. As I said, the plan of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the priority of the gospel. If you're taking notes, don't worry, I'll be putting these up as we go along. So let's have a look actually at the first one, shall we? The plan of the gospel. And you can see there that in this point, we're going to see that our mission starts at home. And we see this from the first two verses of our passage, verses 5 and 6. Let me invite you to have a look down at those verses, 5 and 6. I have a look at them because I think you'll see that they're rather strange. Do you see what they're saying? What does Jesus in those verses seem to be saying that the plan of the gospel is? He's saying there, isn't he? He's saying to his disciples, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't know about you, but to me this seems rather strange, doesn't it? In fact, doesn't this even seem to be going against almost everything we've ever heard about the gospel strategy? I mean, are we not supposed to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's strange, isn't it? Well, it is strange. But in order to understand it, as always... We need to know the context. Let's think about the context of these verses. And the first thing we need to remember is who Jesus is speaking to. Do you see who he's addressing in verses 1 to 4? This is why we read it earlier. Have a look down at those verses. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's talking to the 12 disciples, isn't he? And if you look at verse 2, it actually tells us that he has just chosen these disciples to be apostles. And the apostles are the ones who have been tasked with starting this great plan of the gospel. That's the first thing we need to remember. The second thing we need to remember is not just the immediate context of who Jesus is speaking to, but the context in which this passage comes in the whole of Scripture. Because whenever we think about that, we realize that this has always been God's plan. The gospel was first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And isn't this what we see right the way through the Bible? Right the way, right at the very beginning of the gospel plan in Genesis, all the way to hear this gospel of Matthew and beyond. And so whenever it is we hold these two things in our minds, then we can begin to understand what Jesus is saying here. Because we're not apostles, and we're, well, we're definitely, if anything, we're, we're Gentiles. So how do we interpret it? Well, the principle remains the same. Our mission, as you see behind me, starts at home. That's what Jesus tells the apostles to go after the lost sheep 
of Israel. That is the principle he is teaching us. That is the first step in fulfilling our aim. It is the first part of the gospel strategy. Our mission is to spread the gospel in the lives of those God has already placed in our life. And this makes sense, doesn't it? We apply this logic to everything else in life, don't we? Think to yourself, who do you give the lion's share of your time, energy, and money to? You give it to those nearest to you, don't you? You give it to your family, you give it to your friends, you give it to your bosses or to those in your workplaces or, or, or wherever you are. And whatever you have left, well, we may or may not give it to those who are more detached from us. We see this applies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our family, our friends, our children, our spouses, our parents, our neighbors, our classmates, and our workmates. This is who we are to begin with. They are the ones that we are to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to. Let me say, we are to go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. We know that scripture teaches, that us, te- scripture teaches us that elsewhere. But I also want us to see that when Jesus tells us to go into the world, we need to see that he has already sent us. And those who who surround us have been given to us by God so that we might start by telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the first step in the strategy. The plan. Where does the plan begin? It begins at home. Let's have a look at the second thing we need to know about this strategy, the power of the gospel. And you'll see that in this point, our mission is to present Jesus And we see this from verses 7 to 10. Now, we moved on to this point quite quickly because actually this point is really important in helping us understand our first point. And what I mean by that is whenever we begin to contemplate the reality of our first point, that our mission starts at home, we begin to realize how hard that is. For instance, I know some of you here, when we talk about this, your immediate reaction is that, you don't want to jeopardize the relationships that you have built up with those in your workplace or, or with those that you've built up in your families. You don't want to jeopardize that by saying something or, or being too bold. I know that some of you, for instance, have never talked to your friends or your family or your children about spiritual matters. And so all of a sudden to go home now and start this evening, it would just seem really unnatural. I know that many of you do not feel equipped to teach anyone, never mind those who you love the most and who know you the most. You see, it is hard. I'm ready to admit it. It is hard for the mission to start at home. It's almost easier to get on a plane and go somewhere else and to proclaim the gospel to those you do not know and who do not know you. But this is why we need to turn our attention to verses 7 and 10 because this part of our strategy reminds us that the power of the gospel is in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves. Let's have a look and let's see this for ourselves. Have a look at verses 7 and 8. Let's see what Jesus says to his disciples. He tells them that as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Then he says in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. You're looking at those verses, I'm sure, and you're thinking, okay, 
sure how we're going to do this. But again, context is key, isn't it? Context is key in understanding these verses because we could easily read these verses as a standalone verse and, and go away here, verse 8 particularly, and go away and, and promise to heal the sicknesses of our loved ones. You could go away from here, going out to the graveyard across the road and, and promising to raise those to life who have died or to free those from the power of the devil. If I were to teach you to do that, let me tell you two things that would happen. First of all, you would soon become very discouraged at your complete inability to do them. You might even question your faith as a result of that or or question Jesus' love for you. But the second thing that would happen is that the gospel would very quickly lose any credibility it might have with your audience. And so we see that this verse is not about that. We're not to read this verse literally. We need to read it in the context in which it was given. And the context, if you remember from our first point, is that it was given primarily to the apostles. And if you look at verse 1 of our chapter, you will see that they and they alone have been given the authority to do this. And so what do these verses mean to us? What, What does it mean? What does it mean in our context? Well, it means that we are called to proclaim the message that's what verse 7 says. And the acts, verse 8, of Jesus Christ. And the reason we're to do this is because as we proclaim Jesus Christ, as we present him, people will not put their confidence in us, but they'll put their confidence in him. Have a look down at verse 9. That's what that says as well. Do you see what verse 9 says? Have a read at it. See what it says? He tells the apostles, doesn't he, to go out as they are. And again, we could take this literally, couldn't we? Or we could see, as I'm going to encourage you to do now, look at the last line. The worker is worth his keep. See, our worth is not in what we bring or what we do, but in who we present. See, I hope you see how encouraging this is. Especially since it is so hard to spread the gospel news, particularly among those we know. Do you see what Jesus is telling us here? He's telling us that we don't need to add anything to the gospel. We don't need to dress it up to make it more presentable. He's saying the power is not in the presentation, but in the person. He's saying the power is not in you or me, but in Jesus Christ. Our role, isn't it, as we saw in the first point, is to spread. Our aim is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's summed up really well for us in the middle of these verses. Have a look again at verse 8 and see the very last sentence of verse 8. You see what it says? Freely you have received, freely give. This reminds me actually of an advertisement, um, I'll put it up here, of the watchmaker, uh, Patek Philippe. You may be familiar with this advertisement, but I've written there beside it what it says on the, on the poster. You see what it says? It says, you never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. This is what Louisa was talking to the boys and girls about. And, and I encourage you to think along the same lines. Perhaps you own something similar. I don't own one of these watches, but perhaps you do. Or perhaps you own a watch that's like it. Perhaps you have a ring that's incredibly precious to you. Someone who was very dear to you gave it to you. 
and it's in your mind, you know exactly who you're going to give it to next. And I imagine you're not going to want to change it or add to it. The way it is, is incredibly precious to you. And all you are going to do, all you want to do is pass it on to someone you love. See, it's the same with the gospel. If you are a Christian, then you know who Jesus is. You understand what he has done for you. And that is what you're to pass on. There's nothing more to it except to pass on what is precious to you. I recognize that this is hard. But I hope you see that as a church, we we really want to encourage you and, and help you with this. This is one of the reasons why we run Christianity Explored. Because although it might sound like a course, if you go to it, you'll see that it's really just a study of the Bible. It's really just a study of Mark's gospel. And I want to encourage you that if if you're a Christian here to see that Christianity Explored is not just for non-Christians, but it's for any of us who want to learn how to pass the gospel on, who want encouraged, who want to gain confidence in that. That's the same with what we do here on Sundays. Whenever we ascend these steps, we endeavor to teach the gospel. Not just to encourage you and to assure you of God's grace in your life, but for whoever it is you bring with you. That's why I introduced myself at the start of almost every service. We want this place to be a welcoming place. This is where the gospel goes out. And if you're wary about presenting Jesus yourself, well then bring these people here. Bring your friends, your family, your children, whoever it is. And God willing, they will not only hear the gospel, but they will see Jesus Christ and they will join his kingdom. It's a simple plan so far, isn't it? It starts at home, our mission. And it's really all we need to do is simply present Jesus Christ. Let's look at our final point. The priority of the gospel. In this point, we see that our mission is to trust God. And we see this in verses 11 to 15. Now, this point is important. Because although the gospel is powerful... Although the gospel, the name of Jesus Christ, what he has done, can save, it's not for everyone. Although the gospel is powerful, it is not for everyone. And that's what these verses describe. Now let's read them again. It's been a while and they're tricky. So let me read them again. Let's have a look, commencing at verse 11. This is Jesus speaking to his apostles. He tells them that whatever town or village you enter, Search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Like I said, these verses are tricky, but let's get straight to the point. These verses are here to tell us that our job is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. To go into every town, whatever town, whatever home. But that it is their responsibility to respond. It is their responsibility to respond. That's what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? He's instructing his disciples to seek out those who are willing and ready to accept him. 
and to move on from those who reject him. Again, when we think about this, I I think this is quite a simple strategy. And like before, it's one we see in the world, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, we think about salespeople. I was actually out in the garden a couple of weeks ago. You know, gardens are like these days, weeds are growing and it's January. But I was out in the garden and, and, and a girl came past and she, she, she was going door to door trying to sell, uh, you know how to describe it, she was trying to sell like food packages and, and recipes. Of course, when I heard she was trying to sell food and, and whatnot, I was initially interested. But when she began to tell me more about the options available, she realized that I have no jurisdiction over our fridge or over our meals. And so the, the conversation quickly came to a close. And she, she moved on. If you've ever experienced something like that, you'll know these people, they don't waste their time. They're there to do one thing, to sell their product. And they stay while you're interested. But the moment they realize that their efforts are not going to bear fruit, they're gone. It's a simple strategy, isn't it? And the same applies to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me say that Jesus does not want us to give up on people. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, remember your rule. Your rule is not to save. Your rule is to proclaim, is to pass on what you have been freely given. This is why Jesus says what he says in verse 15. He wants to make the case clear that the responsibility is theirs. You see what he says in verse 15? It's a shocking statement. If you know scripture, if you're a member of Jesus' kingdom, you'll understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for those who reject the gospel, more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the responsibility is theirs. And that's the reality of Jesus Christ. The reality is that those who hear and reject the gospel will be judged far more severely than those who do not hear and do not reject. I suppose that's the challenge for anyone here this morning who is not yet a part of Jesus' kingdom. It's a challenge for those here who do not trust Jesus, who do not call him Lord. You've been offered this gift, this great gift of the gospel. Jesus Christ has been faithfully presented to you and the blessings of his kingdom have been proclaimed. But Jesus says the responsibility is on you. And if you reject what you have heard, then God will judge you more severely than if you'd never heard of him. But for us, this is written to us, the apostles. Not the, it's written to the apostles and it's written to us, members of Jesus' kingdom. And we are to know our role. We're to see that after we spend time with people, after we've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, we're to move on to someone else. What did he say at the end of chapter 9? He said, the fields are white with harvest and the laborers are few. And our response is that if these people accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are to praise God. And then we're to move on. And if they do not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ... Well, we're to trust that God is in charge. And we're to trust that one day this person's response will be different. You see, our mission is to trust God. See what I mean? It's not to trust in ourselves. Salvation is not in our hands. 
I hope you see, I hope you see what a great comfort this is. This is how I think we should apply it. Because I know many of you, particularly whenever we think about our mission starting at home, we can count the number of field attempts that we have, we have tried to bring people to the Lord and, and we haven't been successful. And I think this is where it is immensely comforting to us because our mission can make us feel immensely guilty. We think of our friends, dwindling faith. We think of those we know who, are, who have backslidden. And you can wonder, what have we done wrong? You can think of your children who have not stayed in church and have seemed to have walked away from their faith altogether. And you can wonder if we failed them. You can even think about those who once had a church connection or have moved away and we feel burdened by our lack of commitment to them. You see, Jesus knows that our mission can be discouraging. It can weigh heavily upon our shoulders. But at this point, in these verses, he tells us that we are not responsible for these people's response, but that rather our mission is to trust in God, trust in his goodness, his grace, his mercy. And like he says, move on in the, the field there are many, many more, aren't there? Many more in our homes, many more in our workplaces, many more here connected to this church who need to hear that the kingdom of heaven is near. They need to see Jesus' acts and they need to be presented with him so that they might repent and believe in him. At the end of our service, we have a time of tea and coffee. And let, let me encourage you to hang around and join us. But let me encourage you in this time of tea and coffee to be supporting one another, fulfill your aim of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone you know, you both know this one person who's maybe not coming to church or maybe hasn't heard the gospel yet. Maybe you can make a plan about how you can invite them to church or invite them around for lunch afterwards. Or maybe you might want to think about coming to Christian Explored and speak to someone who's been there, talk to them, find out about it. Or maybe you can encourage someone to keep going despite past discouragements. It's good to have an aim, isn't it? And our aim as God's people is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But remember that without a strategy or a plan, our aim is just empty words. It's easy to say. It's easy to say that we need to be evangelistic. But unless we have a strategy or a plan, it achieves nothing. Well, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has given his people his aim and he has given us his strategy. So let's get to work. Let me pray for us as we thank God for his word and thank and ask him for his help in applying it to our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those in our lives we thank you for the gift that they are to us. We pray that we would not overlook them, but rather that we would seize the opportunity and that we would, that we would present Jesus to them. Enable us to do that. Enable us to do that through your word. Encourage us with one another and equip us. Equip us with, with plans and with this strategy. We pray that you would encourage us too to trust you 
And even though we struggle with this, even though it is hard, even though we would, it's easier to do mission in other ways, we pray that you would encourage us. Encourage us to trust God. Trust in your grace and your mercy and your plan. Bless us individually and as a church as we endeavor to be faithful to your word. Amen.